0: Welcome to the Voice of Retail for the week of July 1st, 2019. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc. This podcast is brought to you in conjunction with Retail Council of Canada. In this episode, live from the main stage at RCC Store 2019 Conference, my exclusive interview with Walter Robb, former co-CEO of Whole Foods. We chat about the nature of consumers on both sides of the border, the zen of Amazon then, now, and in the future, the current state of grocery retail across North America, and trends for the future. Then a return visit from Michelle Sexman from Enveronics Analytics, talking about using modern data and sophisticated mobile-based analytics to help guide retailers in their site selection and understanding customer insights. Next, we'll cover off Retail This Week, including Ontario celebrating with a 50. Can the Goose Continue to Soar? Amsterdam's Hema in Canada. Dollarama Goes South, American. Canopy Tweet Tokyo Smoke CEO Bruce Linton outside and talking. Sport Check More Inclusive. Man SaaS Testing Some Same-Day Cannabis Delivery. Ireland's Primark celebrates 50 in 372. Robots rub off on humans at Amazon warehouse. Galen Weston gets serious on sustainability at the Consumer Goods Forum Global Summit. But first, let's listen in to my interview live from the big stage at Store 2019 with Walter Robb. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, Walter Robb, thank you Walter. Yeah. To join me and let's, uh, let's do some chit and chat, and thank you very much for that
1: presentation. That's great. I wonder, can I take one of these RCC pillows home with me?
0: Yeah, please do. Please do. <laughs> $39.99. Your dollar goes a long way
1: in Canada. <laughs> there you so
0: um, welcome back to Canada. Thank you very much. Uh, you are instrumental, if not uh, the leader, of, of moving Whole Foods into Canada. You operate uh, the stores now, Whole Foods stores in Ontario all the way to the west. I'm intrigued or I'm curious on your thoughts around the difference between the American and the Canadian customer, as much as there is such a thing as an American and Canadian customer, and I'm, I'm only, I'm really intrigued on it because it would help us understand, we look at trends that are happening in the United States, and we try to reflect on, okay, are those trends going to be happening here? Do you
1: see any differences? You've operated on
0: both sides of the border. Tell me, let's talk about that for a bit.
1: I see huge differences. I mean, Canada was the first country we went into outside the United States, and we were well along. Uh, and I would just, I'm going to start out with a real shout out to Canada because I, I saw it first in terms of the team members and the culture. I mean, I think what's what's native to Canada and I so appreciate it, particularly here in Toronto, is, uh, is the sort of ethnic, you, you seem to have been able to combine people in mm-hmm. a much better way than the United States. We're struggling with that. And Canadians have a tolerance and an acceptance and an appreciation for cultural diversity that's so impressive. Uh, and second of all. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's hear it. We the North. Back to your uh, first couple of yeah. Slides. I'm not going to give you the Raptors. I'm still a Warriors fan. <laughs> but, um, number two is I think you have a, you have a communitarian values. There is a sense of. Being part of a community, belonging to a community, participating in a community, which translates into such things as the, as the benefits which do which do vary by province, which is kind of a pain in the ass to administer yeah. but but the, but the fact is that 's just what an employer does that 's what we expect in Canada, hmm. whether it 's the health insurance or the benefits right but you see it also when you 're forming a team member base at a store as you see the fact of how they think about their responsibility. I so appreciate it. the American culture is much more. Go out there and, mm-hmm. and do it yourself, type of thing. Yeah. So, so uh, I also, I, but I do see Canadians tend to be a little more reticent. They tend to be, they don't, they don't, they tend to state, they're not braggadocio. They don't talk about themselves. They don't step up and do sure. that. They tend to, and when you run a team member meeting, it's hard to get stuff out of them about right. how they're feeling about their experience. So, so I see those differences between the countries. Um, I greatly appreciate Canada. I, I love coming up here. I've spent a lot of time. You know, in different parts, working on the stores, and some we didn't end up end up building. But I think that you know, I don't know if those translate to the Canadian customer. But uh, I will say the last thing is, you do real estate differently up here. You got to start real estate like two centuries before you actually get your site. It's very (laughs) slow, and it seems to be. But we didn't overbuild, though. You didn't overbuild, and there's there's only a certain group of retailers that really have a lot of a lot to say that. And and I think also. they, they were slow to adopt Whole Foods. We had a much slower mm. growth curve coming in here as a new brand than we did in the United States. Uh, folks like had either had to trust us. Yeah. I don't know if that's the Canadian culture to hang back a little bit. But um, there,
0: I mean, there was a pent-up demand for Whole Foods. I remember at the time there was a pent-up demand for Whole Foods to, came, to come here. Obviously, Canadians shopped often in the U.S., so it's interesting to hear that it was a little reticent. That being said, it's a very competitive market, so in some ways it's not entirely surprising. And, and as you said about Canadian consumers, they're a little bit more of a measure twice, cut once kind of consumers sometimes when I compare them when I think about them in the context which, which of Which means for
1: me that you've got to double down on the trust and loyalty. You have got to build out the ecosystem like we just talked about in a way that's, that handles the table stakes, is compelling, innovates on service, but you've got to double down on building trust and loyalty because the Canadian customer is going to be a little more you know, I, I think at yeah. least on experience Lamar
0: So it's even more those values that are entrenched in the business are even more. Well how so. do you
1: earn their trust and loyalty? I yeah. mean and, and do time. You, time on task. For retailers we've always measured comps, right? Comps. I get up, I mean every day I get up at five thirty and I'm look what are the comps? But now, with physical and digital, you've got to look at lifetime value. You've got to mm-hmm. look at a new set of metrics. You've got to look at a new set of compensation. How does the store participate in the digital world? You've got this whole other set of issues around compensation, measurement, metrics, yeah. about being a retailer that, that reflect this, the new world order.
0: I love your idea of lifetime value. There's been a couple of speakers on the stage. You've talked about that. How do we start to measure... You know, experience this concept of measuring experiences of stores, or so experience, how he experiences per square foot, Doug. Exactly, but this lifetime value may be the the one pinnacle of, of how to measure, the culmination of all those things.
1: Right, and there's different versions of how that's being calculated, but the data is in that if you're if, if you're a brand that's able to meet people digitally and physically, you're going to get 2x the basket, you're right. going to get more business, so why would you want to walk away from that? If you're just running physical stores, you're going to have a hard time putting up growth, you're going to put up, maybe put up a point of growth, and if you've ever been a, it's very hard to run a P&L on 1% growth, right. because your costs are going up faster. So...
0: Only one of us on this stage has ever sold a business to Amazon. So i got about two dozen, three dozen questions okay. for you. And only one of us has a nice pocket square like Oh, that. well, thank That's you. Well, thank yeah. you. Local Canadian uh, <laughs> retailer, of course. Yeah. Um, so let's start with, you know, it's almost two months to the week where the, uh, the acquisition... Um, was announced. And it, you know, it shook the market. It shook the market in stock prices of existing grocers. And it, it, it shook the market. In Trillions terms. of dollars of market cap wiped out within one hour. It's disappeared. Right? Disappeared. Disappeared. Didn't come back. You know, it's really phenomenal when you think about it. And, and I was, looking, I was reading, some, reading back a couple of years ago to some of the, the press and the commentary that came out two years ago. And I, I was struck by a quote uh, from your co-CEO, John McKay. And he said, you know, truly, it was love at first sight when we met Amazon. And and most retailers don't have that kind of affection for Amazon, so I was, you know, I'm trying to put yourself back to those days, and what what was the thought process, and then we're going to talk about, okay, how are they, how do you see them today, and then we'll talk about what you see for the future. Well,
1: I mean, you have to take the full, the the last full year as a public company. We went public in 93, so you're in the year year 2016, 2017. We sold the company in late summer 17. Uh, And really, the, the background is that uh, I know what john 's saying there, but we struggled the last year as a public company because uh, the competition really caught up mm-hmm. our comps dropped, our stock dropped uh, quite a bit, and the market was all over us uh, and so we were and we had activists in the stock and so we were we had to we had to refresh our board and we had to cut three hundred million dollars out of our operating costs, and we still felt vulnerable, so we actually Said, "All right, what are our options? Do we keep right. executing this uh, without the resources necessary to invest in the technology that we just talked about, yep. or do we go find a partner?" So we decided to go look for a partner, and we went to Amazon. I'll just make sure it's clear: we went to Amazon looking. Uh, we went to several other people, and we had I'm not other... sure that's. I'm not sure that's well understood. I understand it, but I'm but telling you the truth because I was yeah. there, and uh, two two meetings at Jeff's house in Seattle. And uh, the deal was done in six weeks. It was quiet for two weeks, and then was announced it was like a bomb that went off in the retail world. And it really, you need to understand how seminal that deal really was. Um, But the backdrop for that was us really um, looking for a partner who we felt could digitize the physical offer we had developed over 40 years. We were trying. We had a deal with Instacart. Mm-hmm. We had other things. We had pieces, kind of like what you see Kroger trying to do out, put these pieces together. Yeah. Yeah. We just couldn't do it fast enough with the pressure of being a public company, and we chose a partnership as the best way to make sure Whole Foods continued for 100 years.
0: So fit into the center of your table napkin strategy. I love that, uh, I love that as a real keepsake for uh, historical reference. So so let's fast forward to today. So it's, it's almost two years later. We see Amazon, of course, uh, Whole Food products are available on Amazon, Uh, the fresh products are available on Amazon Fresh where it's available. The
1: Amazon Fresh, by the way, was completely a failure for 10 years prior. They had, I mean, would you buy an Amazon chicken? Probably not, right? No brand authority in chicken, Hmm. brand authority in books. So with Whole Foods acquisition, they got our, our brand authority in fresh foods. They got access to 80% of the U.S. population. And they got access to, uh, you know, a set of standards and a authority in the market. So we got the tech and the digital. Their data and technology is ridiculous, sure. absolutely ridiculous. Sure.
0: Not to be underestimated.
1: I mean, and it's so far ahead of anybody else,
0: it's, it's ridiculous.
1: Right. So, uh, you know, we've got... Um
0: We've got Prime offers, we've got offers for Prime members at, at Whole Foods, and, yeah. and uh, just recently actually in the news they announced uh, price cuts, right, 20% price cuts. So is this what you had, had imagined two years on in the deal? So you know, looking back two years, where did, is this where you thought
1: they would be um, this, this far past the deal? But look, you know, I'm, I'm on record. I just did an interview on in CNBC last week. I said, like, "I think, on balance, this has been a good thing for Whole Foods." I mean, obviously, I spent my life, mm-hmm. sweat, soul, and spirit build, helping to build that sure. company with with John and the others, and it's everything to me. I love it. I love it to this day. Uh, it was a tough business decision that had to be made at that juncture, and I think, on balance, it's been a good. It's been a good thing for all of our stakeholders. They. They bought 100 percent of the shares for cash. By the way, I've never seen a 14 billion dollar check written before, but they did. But um, wow. but our share. I mean, our stakeholders got a, a fair shake, and our Whole food standards have continued into the world in terms of the quality of food and the digital offerings with Prime Now and all that is still to come is uh, is happening. And so, John, and I had lunch a few months ago and talked about it. And if we had done A, if we done B, we'd yeah. still be an independent public company. Uh, But I think on balance, we made the right decision with the set of facts we had at that time. So is it what I imagined? Look, what I know is that the Whole Foods chapter, as I know it, as we built it, is over. Chapter one. We're in chapter two now, which is the digitization and the joining of these two. And I think that's where the market is. And I think it's... uh, I think the cultural question is the is the deeper question. When you combine companies, there's always two cultures you're combining. Mm. That's going to take a little longer,
0: because it, it seems to be the cultures on the surface would be very different between right. the two organizations. I think right? that's correct. And even uh, that must roll out into and the experience
1: of the associates as well, right? That... Well, it takes time in the integration of leadership, leadership yeah. principles, values. Whole Foods is a purpose-driven, values-driven organization. Amazon has their own set, but those things have, it takes time to join those things in building a culture. So let's think about the
0: future, the, you know, five, 10 years hence uh, of Whole Foods. You know, Amazon's got their Amazon Go stores, kind of a convenience store. It's kind of some whiz bang technology, pretty, pretty impressive for what it is. And but, but by
1: the way, that, I mean, that technology is available to anybody. Mm. There's, a, there's a guy out of Stanford that's created a, a shipping container store. You pull in the parking lot, and you let yourself in. It's the same technology as Amazon Go. Hmm. 7-Eleven is, is using that Amazon that t- technology in their new stores I showed you. So it's not just their province, although right. they're going to do, they say, 3,000 of them.
0: Yeah. And they're going to build Somebody says 3,000 because it's hard to find Amazon saying 3,000. It's, it, it is written that they're going to open 3,000. I'm also interested in your thoughts. Amazon announced in the Wall Street Journal, or the Wall Street Journal announced, that they were going to open up grocery stores. And I, and I was a little struck by that. Didn't they already buy a grocery store? So
1: They bought Whole Foods, but you know, we're not the grocery store for everybody. We've probably not served more than 25% of, right. the, of the population for whatever the reasons. And, um, and that was never our aim, to be all things to all people. But, uh, yeah, that's right. That thing sits between the... It hasn't been 100% confirmed. I will tell you, I I do believe it's happening. Mm. And it's happening apart from Whole Foods. And I always thought we would never get it all the way done for them. If they think food's the Trojan horse to sell you everything else, they're going to have to have a bigger footprint than just what we had with our 500 stores. Um, And so it's not a surprise. The fact that they're doing it on their own, I don't think they're very good physical retailers. Their bookstores and that are... You know, the technology's cool. The retailing itself is... Subpar, in my opinion. But well,
0: there's, there's always been mixed uh, impressions when you go to the Amazon four-star store, for example. That you know the execution. I've I've had two you know r- responses. One is okay, they really haven't got it all figured out after all. And the other is, is, is there more to this store? Because I think more of Amazon. So am I missing something? But have you been at any of the four-star store type stores? What's your impression of that? Sim is,
1: similar to yours. Yeah. I mean, like I'm a retailer. I've, I've built hundreds of supermarkets, uh, designed them from the ground up. And, you know, Whole Foods, we try to do every store different. We try yeah. to keep evolving and pushing the envelope. I mean, I don't like formula retail. Mm. I, like, I like something that, and I think the times call for you continue to innovate and expand. Uh, in what the store's offering. I mean, economically, you figure out the core, yep. but then where can you innovate? You know, we, we sell a lot of mac and cheese in one store recently in Denver. Uh, we opened up a mac and cheese bar. Huh. 25 types of mac and cheese. And so if you like mac and cheese, lots Denver's of mac and cheese. place to go. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I think you know, Amazon, I think maybe we can help them with that, the physical retail.
0: Our first keynote speaker that kicked off the conference yesterday, Doug Stevens, has described, uh, he speaks a lot, as we all often do, kind of, you know, what is Amazon and when... His thoughts on when they bought Whole Foods or when that came together, that for them it was just about data. It was just about them understanding their data better, getting more revs on their flywheel, you know, their concept of the flywheel. And they really weren't that intrigued about being a grocer, but you've described them as, you know, the Whole Foods culture and product line as helping them. So. What do, you, what do you think about you know beyond the obvious of getting into grocery? They've got re- return pickups. They've got a number of tactical things, but strategically, where do you think it sits for them?
1: Well, it's, it's a great question you're asking. Think about it though. They they face the same competitive marketplace that, that we all do in the large law large numbers. They happen to have the cloud business, which isn't like having an ATM inside your lobby. Yeah, you know, the AWS. Right, and they business, have now yeah. the data, the advertising business. But but if they want to truly uh, own the ecosystem, build the ecosystem, they needed to be in food, and they weren't succeeding mm. in fresh food, which is the core and the future where food is going as you sure. think about stores. And so, again, they got a real head start with us uh, being able to do that. And, again, food becomes the, the, the mechanism for triggering the frequency of trips or orders. Mm. And so I think more, it was more strategic than just the data. Yes, they got the data. But they got, they got this position in the marketplace that says, we're able to serve you in all these different ways. And with the food store uh, and what they continue to build out, whether it's Go or whether it's their own grocery stores, right. they're going to have the frequency there to be able to sell you everything. And by the way, their, their rival is Walmart. This is where the battle's happening right now between mm-hmm. the two of them. I just showed you Doug's quote. It says he thinks he's going to win in food. Now, Amazon, those two are obsessed with each other. And you're watching this battle play out in the marketplace of two titans, and mm. everybody else is trying to, struggling to keep up because they're both thinking at the market strategically. Yeah. How do I win in the market? And they both think that way. So I think what we do see is that they now have access to data of how does the shopper shop online or shop in store. And as they get as that data becomes more clear, I've already told you the first conclusion was customers want both, but there's more conclusions around they have a three sixty view of you shopping for food now. Right. When do you shop for food? What do you shop? What do you shop for at what times? What's in your basket? Think about all the potential uh, actions that can come out of that data. So they do have that and then how they they can monetize it in their advertising. How they monetize it through the advertising. But I think their objective was bigger than that, was like we gotta think long term about how we win in the marketplace. So let's say uh, you and I are having a
0: glass of wine together. I don't know if you drink wine. Lovely, yeah. All right, so Canadian wine? Canadian wine's brilliant. Okay. So let's say you and I are having a glass of wine together, and with your background in the business and yeah. you know my massive following on the Voice of Retail podcast in the hundreds, um, someone is willing to give us basically unlimited funds to open up a new retail concept, grocery, non-grocery. You know, you and I had a chat before, uh, and, and by all means go to the Voice of Retail podcast, we talk about Walter's background and, and how organic um, Organic came to be. And, but you said in, the, in our interview, the first time we chatted, that the store that you opened today would be very different than the store you opened, you were like number 12. Talk about what that store would look like today if I gave you essentially a blank sheet, you and I had a blank sheet, we are going to open up a retail, maybe a grocery, what would that look
1: like? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think, I, I, wouldn't, I started my first store in 1978. It was a 1,000 square feet, and I did it on a $10,000 budget. And uh, I don't think you can do a, a, a single, you can do a one-off store if you do something like what Chip and Joanna Gaines called Magnolia in mm-hmm. Waco, Texas. This is a brilliant thing. They used to have a show on TV, and they built out this whole retail empire based on a single store. If you had a concept like that, you could go to market and build out. If I had, if you gave me the dough and I was going to go... Uh, I'd want to be able to have enough resources to, to build the integrated thing right from the start so the experience would be, we'd be, we'd be serving you digitally, mm-hmm. physically, and mm-hmm. everything in between. But it would be, it would be around a series of, of, um, of food experiences, I think. Mm-hmm. I think, really, we're seeing this tremendous migration to prepared foods and meals. The meal kit thing hasn't really worked out, but when you integrate with physical stores, it works nicely. So I think celebrating American food traditions... Um, if I was in Canada, Canadian sure. Food Traditions. Yeah. You guys do such a lovely job honoring your First Nations, uh, which we don't do as well in the United States. It's, a, you know, it's terrible what's happening with our Native Americans. Hmm. And you guys do that so much better. I think about the opening of the Olympics a number of years back, which I was fortunate to go to in Vancouver. But I think I would honor the honor the food, and, and, and not looking backwards, but looking forwards at honoring some of the things that are happening in food now, which is pretty exciting. I mean, sell your Foods being created, that bypasses the animal. Mm. I, I told you already about the, the plant compounds that are being produced yeah. in the foods. Nor Foods produces a thing that calls the top new 50 foods, which is all about foods that you don't know but are going to be part of the future food supply. So I think celebrating the future and through experience and taste would be a very fun thing to open. And, and if I had the resources, you've seen Italy in New York and around the sure. world. It's an excellent start. But he's, Oscar was all about Italy. Yeah, uh, I want to. I think doing something like that, but forward-looking for the United States would be a very cool thing to do. Yeah, and we're about to have
0: an Italy open up uh, in Canada in Toronto. A hell of a fall. retailer,
1: hell of a retailer. Yeah, but, but they're restaurants. So basically, sixty-five yeah. or seventy percent of their business is restaurants. So
0: yeah, for sure. And it, of course, it's it's a kind of a vertical, right? It's themed on one theme, the Italian Italy. theme, on Italy. You know, I, I just want to pick up one thing you said. Uh, food kits. Are you surprised that that they did not that delivery that subscription service didn't. Uh, didn't pick up. I mean, the poster child for that is is just doing, is really struggling. Um, but there seems to be optimism. It seems to be on trend. Yet it it struggles. Is it operations
1: issue? Is no, it's it it's customer come, acquisition. It's come and gone. I mean, Blue Apron is the, the exemplar of that because their stock and then it's down at like a buck. In fact, they may yeah, get yeah, delisted. Yeah. But look, you know why? It's because the customer wants more choice than that. You can go on your phone at four or five o'clock and have Thai food. Canadian, you know, whatever food you want, sure. delivered in 45 minutes, 30 minutes. Why would you commit yourself to three meals and a regimen, whether, whether it comes prepared or whether it comes over, you know, the ingredients for cook? doesn't really matter. It's too, it's, it's too inflexible. There's too much packaging. And the business model doesn't really work, right? So the, so the
0: rise of the Uber Eats and the DoorDashes is basically undercut...
1: The, uh-huh. the business ration. That and also meal kits work as an idea in a physical store. Why? Albertsons bought a number four player called Plated mm-hmm. and end them the meal kits when you walk in the store. That works. Because you don't, have to, you don't have to ship it, right. the logistics work, and they can now combine their supply chain with Albertsons and find the cost efficiencies. The problem with Blue Apron is they're, they're trying to build out a supply chain on the back of digital right. business. And, 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 and then their the marketing churn also, they're spending, they're spending way more to acquire yeah, and, and cost, lose a customer. The business right. model doesn't work. Right, right. What it works is combined, the combination with physical. The customer, yes, the customer wants convenience. But they don't want to be rigid. They don't want to be told what they're going to have. Mm -hmm. They don't want to deal with a lot of packaging. That's going. That's counter trend. So I think these folks are going to struggle. Home Chef, out of Chicago, is one that's lowered the price point and become a little more flexible in their offer. So I think there's room to move the model a little bit. But it's uh, it's not an answer in and of itself to where food is going.
0: In the last couple of minutes, we have left last question. I wanted to get your thoughts. Uh, not only do we have uh, retailers in the audience, but we also have suppliers and vendors who, who sell retailers, products yeah. of all kinds, of grocery products. What's your advice to how to do business today with the modern retailer? What advice would you give to the folks in the audience who are, who are looking to partner with and, and launch products and do all these things? What, 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 would, what would you share with them?
1: Yeah, I think it starts with your attitude around realizing that it takes a community to do business. You know, that that at Whole Foods we had a stakeholder philosophy that our stakeholders all had an important say in the future. And we tried to make decisions for the company through that prism. You can't be successful without without working with each other, appreciating one another. Uh, you can go a lot faster if you'll do that and take that into mm-hmm. account. I give you an example: Target bought Ship out of Atlanta to do their fulfillment, and sh- and they kept Ship separate. And Ship is actually shipping to their competitors. Mm-hmm. So this idea of radical collaboration. The fact is, you need we need new models to be successful. We need to build out integration. We need to build out ecosystems. We need to collaborate in ways we haven't. We need to maybe even collaborate with our competitors in some areas in order to be successful. The speed of the market is such those sorts of qualities are now required. And so I would say uh, it takes a village to build a successful mm-hmm. company today, whether you're coming from the brand side or the retail side. And, you know, I see, I see the brands trying to invest heavily and build their direct connection to the customer through these channel and bypass reach. I see retailers yeah. raising, you know, retailers wanting in brands to invest more in their programs. The fact is we have to do both mm. to build a successful company today.
0: Well, Walter, you've been very generous with your time. It's It's been such a treat to, uh, to chat with you and, and, and get both the historical background, your insights, and your view on Ford. So everyone, uh, Walter Rob, Thank you very much. Michelle, welcome back to The Voice of Retail. How are you doing?
2: Good. How are you doing today?
0: Great to see you again. I'm doing fine. Thank you. It's great to see you again um, in our ongoing series of... of discussions and chitting and chatting about uh, all things retail. It's been very uh, illustrated for me, very uh, opens my eyes to a few things of possibilities. So let's talk about the world of possibilities when it comes to physical stores. So the, things haven't quite panned out the way we thought maybe 20 years ago. 20 years ago we thought we see dot-com would come on and e-commerce would, would rule and stores would kind of go away and malls would be in trouble but it really hasn't really hasn't panned out that way, whether it's here or in the U.S., right? Physical stores still matter.
2: They certainly do. I mean, there's more than 80% of sales that happen in the physical channel, in that bricks-and-mortar environment. Mm. So it's important for consumers to uh, have that full brand experience that they get within the stores uh, we've seen retail evolving and becoming more experiential as part of that trend line um, overall uh, but it's that opportunity for consumers to touch and feel the merchandise to ask mm. a sales associate really detailed questions um, and to really have that ability to interact in some cases with the brand in a even a digital environment within that physical environment so you see a lot of experiments uh, going on mm. in retail, uh, to provide a more immersive type of experience, uh, more VR types of experiences in store, all kinds of concepts in order to engage that consumer and really provide a full experience so that they can make that purchase with confidence.
0: You you know, some of the leading indicators for how important stores are, you see the number of digital first, you know, brands that have got physical stores. They're being used for different things. I could think of brands like you know, Casper to all birds that start as digital only, but then now have physical stores. And you know, one element that's interesting, and I did it just this past weekend, is ordered up a product and picked it up in store. And credit to the retailer is ready in 12 minutes. So, you know, this this line between physical, online, and offline. We used to call it omni-channel, but you know, lately even omni-channel is kind of falling out of vogue as a phrase because it doesn't describe the the wholeness of this customer experience, but much of which, as you as you say, what, 80, 85% or more uh, is done in the physical store. So that intersection point is still so important. So to me, it feels like as a retailer, if you're deciding to pick a store, uh, you probably need less stores than you did 20 years ago. So uh, you don't need more stores. So picking the right store in the right location seems to be even, it's never been an unimportant decision. It's always yeah. been an important decision, but now it seems just so critical and even more complex the way people are using the stores. How can Environics Analytics help?
2: Well, when a retailer first comes into a market, the the first pick may be the urban core of a market and Mm -hmm. that may be an easy decision to start with, but what becomes much more challenging is how do you infill into a market to really maximize Mm -hmm. the potential of that market. Um, and so that requires, ideally, a longer-term strategy to be able to do so. Because if you pick just that urban core piece, there may be four other stores that you could optimally place uh, very close to that urban core that would also be able to add to that mix. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then making those right decisions on those next floor, it becomes much more challenging because you need to know more about where does your target consumer live and are all of those uh, mall locations that you're considering, are they equal? Or are there a lot of variations in the consumer types that shop at each mm-hmm. individual mall? And we, we find when we do that deeper uh, analysis, the demographics, the lifestyles are very different based on that local trading area. And it's important to have those metrics to start with in order to uh, pick the right location uh, so that you can build effectively and continue to afford to expand the network.
0: You know, whether you're a big international retailer or a small international retailer and in brand, um, you know, picking the right mall to be in in Canada is actually not incredibly difficult in one way because there's some such marquee malls, whether it's a Yorkdale or a Eaton Center, that continue to do really well across the country. There's marquee malls, so that decision is is I wouldn't say simple, but it's less complex than trying to figure out where you're going to open up a physical store outside. Of that particular mall and that malls trading area and demos may match yours it may not but is that really one of the complicated things that whether you're international or domestic beyond locating in a mall that seems to be a very complex question
2: I mean certainly there's a lot more investment if you're outside of a mall and you're trying to identify a retail strip and you're purchasing the land and making that commitment that is a multi-million dollar decision Mm -hmm. and that's not a decision to be taken lightly um, but there's certainly key categories you think about you know furniture and uh, other uh, big uh, box types of formats that do need to be on their own or attached to some retail strip uh, like that and so that's where it's really key to do your homework uh, to understand what does that location currently attract in terms of uh, consumer types? And there's now tools that will allow you to investigate that ahead of time before you open mm. up that store to know whether that retail context is the right fit or not.
0: So I guess that that's where it comes to an engagement with folks like yourself. Really, it's it's the mall owners or landlords or real estate people can tell you a bit about the traditional trading area. But and um, whether you're whether you're small or super large. It seems like you can use this data to find your location, no matter what size of a retailer you are, small, mid to large, right? So, and you can do it, how me? tell me how they can do that without being overwhelmed in in the data? Because it seems like there's not a shortage of data, there's always a shortage of good data. But how do you not get overwhelmed with so much information and, and making your site selection?
2: So I'll give you a couple of different cases uh, for that. So let's say it's a smaller retailer and they just need to understand the characteristics of the, the local population. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're not going to draw quite as large an area uh, because of the type of sector that they're in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, looking so they at really it,
0: better be spot on in terms of where they locate, close to what they think they're their clientele is right
2: exactly Mm -hmm. that's the ideal situation so that can be readily confirmed by saying let's look at a 10 minute drive time around this specific site and see Mm -hmm. who lives in proximity and they can get the demographics the lifestyle the expenditure data uh from from us to help with understanding that total uh market potential and whether it's the right fit for their business Um, I'll take another uh, example, though. There's new tools that really allow them to go even deeper than that, to say, in this retail strip or in this mall, who are the actual visitor types that come to that location? Mm. And that's where we would use mobile data analytics to help with that specific question. Uh, So they don't have to take that chance and open up. They can see coming out of the gate... What are the visitors? Do they represent the entire trading area, or Hmm. does that retail context pull a different consumer type because of the people that are already there, the the retailers that are already there?
0: You mentioned uh, expenditure types. So unpack that for me a little bit. What do you mean by expenditure types and how many... How granular does that get, are they just clustered into a few? I like buy groceries or hardware, or how does how does ex, what is expenditure type? And then I want to talk about this digital mobile data stuff. But let's start about expenditure types.
2: So the expenditure type is really detailed. There's almost five hundred categories of expenditures.
0: Five hundred categories.
2: That's a lot of information. And mm. that's the dollar spend that, that is uh, that is spent uh, by the consumers in that local uh, area. So they may be spending some of it online, some of it offline, but it does provide that total market potential to understand is there enough volume in that specific category that this is a viable site for me Or are there so many competitors Mm. that are already eating at that market potential that there's not enough left for me to be able to be successful at that location?
0: Oh, I see. So it kind of triangulates both the potential of the market by commodity, but also the the spend. So then you say, listen, if one market's got a great opportunity for electronics, but it's at about 95% is already being spent, then it's going to be harder for you as a retailer to make headway in a market that where 95% of the sales are already accounted for. Is that a, a good example?
2: So it's a, a reasonable proxy for that. So mm. you can look at the density of competitors at that location. You can look at the total market potential and just do the straight math to say, okay, if everybody's mm. getting an equal share, this is about how much uh, that represents in terms of uh, market potential per retailer. And is that enough for me, or uh, am I fighting an uphill battle the right. whole way? And can I find another location in another part of that market? That's more that underserved,
0: has- so to speak. Right?
2: Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly.
0: So you ta- you mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago you talked about mobile data.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, tell me how that works. Is that something that the retailer has to tell their customers to opt into an app that the, they get, need the customers to download? Or how does, how does mobile data work and help? help unpack that
2: for me. So mobile data is available across all markets. Uh, it's really available internationally. Uh, but it allows that retailer to understand the visitors within uh, any geography. So if, say, I'm a retailer and I'm looking at a, um, a retail strip and mm. whether I want to be placed there or a mall and whether it's the right fit for me, it provides that retailer the ability to understand who's shopping at that location currently. And so that uses uh, mobile data information that's been opted in already Mm -hmm. by that consumer. Some Um, kind of
0: multitude of different apps that are already on their phones. Not got nothing to do with an app they have to download. So that data already exists.
2: It already exists. But it's it's
0: compliant with any privacy, so they don't have to worry about that, right? It's all... What, did you call, uh, what would you call it, hashed out, I think?
2: It's a hashed ID, so it's not specific to that individual. Mm. Uh, but it does allow uh, that retailer to see the visitor types that are uh, already coming to that uh, mm. retail context.
0: And you would know that because, you know, from our, pri- our prior conversations, people, wherever they go in the evening or kind of cluster around, you could say, well, they probably are in this particular segment, so that's who is most likely or who's already coming to that location? Is that Yes,
2: yeah, so what hmm. the information provides is the consumer was in this uh, shopping area and the lo- evening locations uh, for those consumers are scattered in these specific neighborhoods hmm. um, and then we can overlay the demographics or the expenditures of those neighborhoods to understand is this a consumer that's spending a lot in electronics or apparel or recreation, whatever that category might be.
0: So... If we triangulate this to trying to choose your location, you've now got uh, a little bit of sense of the size of the market, the mm-hmm. segments of the market. What are you seeing retailers doing to use this data Effectively, because it's a lot of data. Is is this the purview of just the large retailers, or is it something that even small one, two, three store locations can use?
2: Even small retailers can use this type of information. Um, so any retailer that's wanting to expand uh, can compare, say, two locations to say. What are the visitors look like at this location versus the other location that I'm thinking about uh, for my lease? Are they the right consumer type that no. ap- would appeal uh, to my product category? And then make that decision uh, based on the, the type of consumer and then the total market potential. So they've got those two key elements in order to reduce the risk in that expansion.
0: Now, we know the other 15% of retail, so to speak, 10, 15% is online. and So I guess your data tells me, would it tell me, there might be a lot of potential for a particular product, electronic camera, Mm -hmm. but if most of it's being consumed in that particular area by those consumers online, there's Mm -hmm. less likelihood of my store being successful. Could I tell that as well?
2: Yes, you can absolutely Mm -hmm. tell that. Mm -hmm. Um, So it would be the category. A lot of spending in electronics is already Mm -hmm. online, so you need to also maybe dampen that estimate Mm -hmm. uh, in order to account for the amount that's already has shifted into that category.
0: And. When, you think, when retailers think about this, um, I guess another way to use that is, is retailers think about buy online and pick up in store. So there's mm-hmm. still that potential to drive traffic from a very active group of online shoppers, right? I guess that's where one of those elements of the marketing mix that people, retailers can use to drive people into the store and be successful is by offering some kind of quick pick up in store. But they, I, So what I guess you're telling me is that with, armed with your data, they would know that the potential for that is high. Yes, right?
2: yes. and they'd be able to use that in order to hopefully entice that consumer once they're doing that Hmm. pickup to also shop other elements within the store Uh, and certainly they would be exposed to that store experience even uh, in a short uh, visit so that might help to uh, create that return visit uh, specifically focused around that bricks and mortar channel.
0: Now in our prior discussions I've kind of asked you the same question a couple of different ways but I'm going to ask it to you again in the context of this discussion is is You've been working at this for a long time, such great expertise. Is there anything that surprises you or has changed over the course of time in, in how retailers are thinking about choosing their site selections? Clearly, there's better data, and it feels like it's more accessible. Is mm. any, any, any feedback you're getting from retailers, questions that are, that are surprising you? Or just, you know, are, are retailers really starting to come along and, and think about data in these new and interesting
2: ways? They are starting to think about it. I think they're starting to push the envelope a little bit mm. more and saying, I need to make broader decisions. There's much more strategic thinking related to the bricks-and-mortar channel. So very often it's more of a concept of strategically we want we want to uh, investigate uh, completely different elements, like maybe the pricing, instead of mm. doing uh, mm. high-low pricing, moving to everyday low pricing, or we just want to have a very consistent pricing across uh, all the stores, all the time. And starting uh, to be able to do those types of pilot tests to look at the effects mm. of those changes um, over time and using these types of uh, data sources to be able to fill out that picture for them.
0: Interesting. And then I guess that would apply to new formats and new ideas around physical store layouts and types of layouts and the things they do with them, right?
2: All of those elements. Uh, mm. So, you know, so it becomes a, a case where they can really take a few key steps. Uh, in a direction correct if they need to based Mm. on the information and they've now got the data that allow them to quickly make a decision within a few months um, because that mobile data helps to understand those casual consumers those casual shoppers and is it moving the needle in the direction that they want or is it shifted to a different direction and they need to do a regroup and modify in some way. How
0: um, fresh or real time is that mobile data? Is is it, uh, you know, you just just one of the things you said is you know, it doesn't take long to figure out the data. I mean, it used to be months and months you do a survey and figure out and get people to participate. It feels like this mobile data can be much more fast and much more much more nimble.
2: It can be the. It's very close to uh, near time. Mm-hmm. Would be the right, I think, definition is within a week of whatever period of time. So mm-hmm. there's two years of information that can be readily analyzed for any time frame within that. So we think about things like seasonality mm-hmm. and how does that change sure, with a sure. product mix or so, uh, through yeah. the course of a year. Things like special events, like mm-hmm. you know, uh, back to school, Christmas times, uh, all those kinds of uh, elements mm-hmm. that bring shoppers out uh, on a, a more more consistent sort of basis or at a higher frequent uh, level sure. um, so it does provide a lot of ability to understand things like who's shopping midweek who shops weekends uh, it must, be, must my be promotion <laughs> it, it goes be, on and on
0: it must be fun in your chair because imagine over the course of our careers it's like well I'll know I'll tell you in a couple of months how it worked out and now you're in the in the enviable position of picking up that phone and saying, well like a week later I can tell you Directionally, a few things that um, it used to take us uh, as an industry a couple of months to figure out, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Mm, Um, It's it's just fascinating the extent of the questions and Mm. how once Retailer starts to understand that as a data source, then the (laughs) questions keep coming and coming, and uh, they they just get wider and wider. In your
0: line of questioning, in your line of work, one question leads to five, right?
2: It does tend to do that. (laughs)
0: Listen, thanks for joining me today on uh, the Voice of Retail. If uh, Uh, Retailers want to get in touch with you or Environics Analytics. What's the best way they can reach out and and learn more about uh, how location-based and segmentation and all that fancy stuff works to make better decisions?
2: Our website is uh, Mm -hmm. www.enveronicsanalytics.com, or they can just pick up the phone and ask for me, 416-969-2760. Well,
0: fantastic. There you have it. Well, thanks again uh, for enlightening us and continuing to uh, make retailers smarter in the decisions they make. Thanks, Michael. Have a great Great day. day. You too. Special thanks to Walter Robb for generously giving me the thumbs up to put our interview on uh, the Voice of Retail podcast and Layla at CAA for helping me pull this episode together Michelle of course for being my special guest. Now, let's hit the highlights in Retail this week e-newsletter biggest retail Weekly in Canada. You can subscribe on retailcouncil.org for free. Kind of the companion piece uh, to this podcast as we kind of look at uh, some of the most interesting stories in uh, in media for the week. So I think it was, a, I wouldn't describe it as an action packed week, but in some ways it was a very interesting week in retail. You know, kind of the July 1st, Canada Day, and then a little quieter as we head into July 4th for uh, our American friends. But uh, still some great and interesting news stories. So, uh, you know, right off the top, great news, uh, I guess, in, in Ontario, as they announced a couple things. First of all, they're going to free up another 50 licenses, uh, probably a little sooner than had uh, had prior uh, had they had prior intended to do, which was going to be the end of the year. And importantly, they're going to put more of a means test behind the criteria. So, uh, you know, versus this randomness of the lottery uh, that uh, really didn't work all that well. I mean, we had many stores, I think seven, that never actually ever opened, uh, defaulted their, on their $50,000 and never opened. So it didn't really help the market, didn't really help the market grow. And uh, But now Ontario is stepping up and uh, releasing 50 licenses. So there's a good uh, article on that and a good video on that from uh, BNN. So check that out. It's a good uh, exploration of the issue uh speaking on uh, on cannabis let's stay on that for a while bruce linton ousted from canopy what uh, what an entrepreneur building you know an abandoned chocolate factory into a multi multi million billion dollar company uh, that is canopy growth with of course the retail elements of um, of tweed on the on the east coast and other places tokyo smoke uh, and uh i think there's one in london and you know all over canada so you know let's let's uh, let's hear it for bruce linton uh did some fabulous work i guess uh, when constellation brands moved in uh, with their 5 billion dollar investment uh, it seems like uh, they went in different directions and you know they put out a press release that you know things have you know taken a different direction and and bruce does this great interview you have to really have to check it out on on bnn um, all kudos to him Uh, And he says, no, 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 I was fired. I I just found out yesterday. And, and, you know, it was interesting because, um, you know, we had Marina Strauss on last week on the podcast and and Bruce said, listen, um, you you took my interviews and I did interviews with you in the good times now, not so good times, and I'm not going to run away from the press. So a good interview with him and Amanda Lang. It's really, I would say he puts on a masterclass from an executive perspective. Anyway, all the best to Bruce. Uh, He'll do well. Of course, financially, he's done super well. Uh, and he's already got some other companies on the go. So keep a close eye on him. Can Canada goose continue to soar? This from Toronto star, I guess it's one of those, not much going on in the week stories, I guess, because it it just says, you know, how, how Canada goose can continue to on its growth path. Can they continue to growth, uh, particularly with the conflicts or the the tensions in Asia, which is an expanding market for them. So nonetheless, a fairly interesting read. I mean, um, you know, Canada Goose is quite confident that there's lots of growth room ahead. So best of luck to them. Uh, from Retail Insider, Creek's Patterson, Creek Patterson's Retail Insider, Amsterdam-based HEMA announces entry into Canada. So, uh, you know, they're they're a, a very aggressive shop with a, a dollar type store, or value store, and it looks like they're opening a shop and shop within Walmart locations. Uh, so that's an interesting combination for sure. Um, I guess uh, HBC goes to uh, Amsterdam and Hema comes here, I guess, is what t- one analyst uh, mentioned. Uh, Dollarama moves into Latin America with purchase of a retail chain, Dollar City. There's a lot of articles in that, but the good one in uh, the Globe and Mail. And I guess uh, that means that they're going to go into 180 stores between El Salvador, Guatemala, and Colombia. As, and that's um, Dollar City has expanded in those to 180 stores. So, you know, Dollarama has such expertise in running... That category, so I'm sure they'll do uh, really well for that, and it's a great expansion. You really need to get beyond Canada uh, and the U.S. actually to expand. So congratulations to them. From Strategy Magazine, uh, our friend David Louis, uh, VP Marketing for the brand, talks about uh, a more inclusive approach to sports. You know, not just your elite athletes, but everyone who wants to get into fitness and health. So he's got a new marketing campaign. Uh, You can listen to a great interview I did with David Louis a couple episodes ago. Uh, such a, a fantastic contributor in the retail space, and, and a real, uh, you know, really interesting to see him get his hands around uh, the Sportcheck brand. So uh, keep a close eye on that. That from Strategy Magazine. Back to the Toronto Star, Saskatchewan and Manitoba testing same day cannabis delivery. Um, so this is uh, featuring Adam Coates, great, uh, great commercial chief officer of Westleaf. Uh, he appeared at uh, our retail cannabis summit in the spring, and he's also going to be on the stage at Retail West. Uh, and uh, you know he's, he's commenting here about a one or two hour delivery. And really, when you think about um, when you think about competing with uh, the black market or the legacy market, as uh, some like to call it, uh, you're really going to have to step up and, and mirror what is available in everything from food service to retail. So great to see Saskatchewan and Manitoba stepping up and, and enabling that with uh, whether it's pineapple delivery or whoever else is uh, doing that. Uh, from um, from the great Jim Cormier out in uh, Atlantic Canada, uh, at kudos to the uh, provincial governments out there, who are talking about reducing red tape, so that's worth a look. That's from uh, from CBC. Uh, Primark, which is a, an Irish store actually, celebrates fifty years in business, and now has three hundred and seventy stores uh, globally. So I saw the Primark, uh, the original one on Mary Street uh, uh, in uh, in Ireland when I was there in uh, in January, uh, and it's good to see uh, this in the Retail Gazette them expanding. In the new york times inside an amazon warehouse robots ways weigh, robots ways rub off on humans it's it's just another it, you know i guess this is the this is one of the amazon stories of the week 50 truckloads of merchandise turn up at the warehouse and then you know they call the the, the group that unpacks those water spiders just funny fun to read article really um and how the the humans interact with the robots uh safely uh, you know like like for example the um uh, humans who have the humans, the workers uh, who interact with the robots have vests on where the the uh, the robots uh, detect and stop moving. So it's a it's an interesting article deep into the supply chain and, and a nice uh, a nice look at what's going on in, in a very sophisticated supply chain. Uh, Uniqlo transitions to paper bags by the end of the year. So uh, we got more on sustainability coming up in the episode, but this is a good kind of entree into it. This is from CTV. Uh, by, what do they say, Um, they want to reduce single-use plastics their customers receive by 85% at the end of the next year, so it's fast. Uh, They estimate save around 7,800 tons of plastic annually, that's from CTV. Uh, Another Amazon article, but this is really a Whole Foods article, uh, back to uh, Walter Robb and his thinking, um, and it's really about uh, how Amazon wants to make Whole Foods a beauty destination, and, and Whole Foods would probably say I think Walter Roberts certainly say he was already a beauty destination. They, like many things, were ahead in the uh, holistic, clean beauty movement, natural, organic, non-irritating. And I think uh, uh, Amazon, rightly so, judging by this article in courts, have picked up on that theme. Uh, Last uh, in the international, Walmart invests $1.2 billion uh, in uh, China to upgrade logistics. You know, you kind of lose track of these things, but Amazon, Sam's Club and, and Sam Supermarket have 400 stores. Uh, covering 180 cities in uh, in China, I kind of lost track of that, but uh, you know, not uh, of course such a vast nation with a huge population. that's relatively small, uh, but you know, it ain't it ain't nothing either. Uh, so uh, 1.2 billion in China to upgrade uh, their logistics, and I think that's mostly logistics of moving the product around versus getting it offshore and, and back to uh, back to the U.S. Uh, lots of great articles in uh, in retail news for uh, or news for retail entrepreneurs. This first one's interesting. The Globe and Mail. OMG Bakery, goodness, actually opens up early, because they're a bakery, and they actually accept parcels for people. So it's interesting. Uh, it's called to combat, combat package theft, or what we would call porch piracy. Neighborhood stores accept deliveries for nearby residents. Uh, so interesting. Uh, an interesting read for sure. Uh, also, you've got some uh, cannabis stores moving into Fort McMurray. Uh, you know, first, Canada's retails opens application for eight more approved. Uh, so, lots of expansion in, in Fort McMurray. Good to see them bouncing back after a couple of tough, tough years. Um, in, you know, I talked about sustainability. Uh, the next couple of episodes, we'll have a spotlight on uh, on retail sustainability. Uh, we've got 360 degrees of modern retail economy, that from the retail, uh, that from, sorry, Canadian retailer. And then we've got a, an article, uh, Galen Weston, uh, I just published the last episode, was uh, was at the uh, in Vancouver at the Consumer Goods Forum Global Summit, and and Galen West did an excellent presentation. Not speaking really uh, as behalf of of blah Sarah Davis, uh, Tina Lee were there on the stage talking about that. But he was really talking about uh, his leadership in the environmental movement, and and really he says, listen, we need to really get serious on sustainability. Amongst other messages, we need we as the industry, grocery industry, and consumer package goods need to get sustainable get need to get serious before uh, governments around the world intercede. Uh, and force it upon them. So um, he describes it as probably a challenge that will take us multiple generations to properly properly bring under control. So great article that in uh, that in Canadian Grocer uh, Retail. The Real Real had a blockbuster IPO. Uh, fantastic growth for them. The Real Real being, uh, you know, is this the Real Real? This is a Steve Dennis article. Uh, is it? Is this the new thing? You know, whether it's Thread Up or the Real Real, the resale. Disruptors, is that on trend? And there's another article from CBC that follows on trend. Startup gives women a way to rent the perfect style from someone else's closet, so that's kind of the layering of the network effect. And then interestingly, uh, Rent the Runway uh, lands inside Nordstrom. So, Rent the Runway has got a physical drop off, so you rent your your dress and rent whatever you want. Physical drop-off speeds the exchange process for rent-the-runway versus typical return. And I guess it drives traffic into uh, into Nordstrom. Always a tricky proposition, uh, those kind of partnerships. But uh, interesting, rent-the-runway has seen an 180% increase in returns directly from customers. So, you know, that's certainly worked for rent-the-runway, and I guess it gets some foot traffic into Nordstrom's. Uh, it does feel a bit, um, you know... Uh, Risky, I guess you could say with uh, people, you know, starting to figure out that they can just rent stuff instead of buy it at Nordstrom's. But I figured, uh, I guess Nordstrom figure out if they're going to buy, they're going to buy. And at least we'll have a good shot at uh, having them walk through uh, the Nordstrom location. Uh, And last but not least, luxury brand fashion, luxury fashion brands from your to curing make the push for sustainability. So we're going to be talking about sustainability in the next couple of episodes. That's the theme. Uh, We're going to be doing some chitting and chatting with uh, key people at uh, retail council actually who are, on the sustainability file day in, day out, and and, uh, we'll talk about it. Uh, So uh, look for that more in upcoming episodes. So that's a wrap on this edition of The Voice of Retail. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe on your iTunes, on iTunes, or on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to recommend to a friend or colleague in the retail industry. You can also ask your favorite home device, Amazon Echo Google Home, to play the most recent edition. I'm Michael LeBlanc, founder and president of Amy LeBlanc Company, Inc., you can learn more about me on www.meleblanc.co or, of course, on LinkedIn. Till next time, have a great week.